Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done in our lives, and thank you for all that you currently are doing within us. Thank you for the hope that is ours in you alone, Jesus, that this world is not all there is, but Lord, your plans for us transcend time and space. Lord, we're so thankful for the good news of the gospel that proclaims that anyone who comes to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, who died on the cross to pay in full the price for our sins, who rose again the third day, who ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who will one day return to gather your church and to judge the world. For all of us who have believed that message and who have placed our faith in you, Jesus, you have a future for us that far outweighs any suffering we have ever known. And so, Lord, for that, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for all the great and wondrous things that you, that you continue to do in us. And so, Lord, now, through your word and by your spirit, draw us closer to Jesus than ever before. Transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when we come to the end of this experience, we would be more like Jesus than when we began. We prayed in his precious and holy name. Amen. My father grew up in a faith tradition that was very meaningful to him and very, very important to him. It's right here in Bowling Green and not far from us, really. Dad served his church in a lot of ways when he was young. He served as what was called an acolyte and what was called a crucifer. An acolyte is usually a kid who's wearing a robe and carries in a special, uh, the, the technical term for this is candle lighter carries in a special fancy candle lighter. It looks exactly like the special fancy candle lighter that we use at Advent when we light the Advent wreath. But that fire was to represent the presence of the Holy Spirit in the worship service. And so what they would do is the acolyte would bring the fire in, light the candle, and then be seated. And then at the end, you would use the snuffer, which is the technical term for the little bell thing on the fancy candle lighter, to put the fire out, meaning that the service had come to an end. Or as a crucifer, he would carry in the cross, much like the cross that sits on our communion table here before me. They would carry that in to signify the the centrality of Jesus in the moment. Dad had his own copy of the Book of Common Prayer. In fact, I still have that copy of the Book of Common Prayer. It's on the shelf in my office. It's very, very meaningful to me. Um, And he was big when I was a kid on on teaching me from the Book of Common Prayer, the Apostles' Creed. Many of you know the Apostles' Creed, that historic creed within the church. Well, there was something that struck me about his faith as as he got older, and it's something that I adopted to be part of my faith as well. And that was this, that that though he he was very, very thankful for his faith, and he served his church and all those sorts of things, he he didn't really talk about his faith that much. Faith for him was something that was very private. And and I adopted that mindset that, that faith was something that is very private and you just don't talk about it. In fact, I even struggled, frankly, to say out loud the name Jesus. Isn't that weird? I say the name Jesus a lot now, but I struggled with it because I just felt like, well, you know, that's a private thing. We don't, we don't talk about that in the public sector. And then we got around you Baptists. And let me tell you, 
You Baptists do it a little bit differently. You Baptists are a little louder about your faith, and I think rightly so. You Baptists have no problem with the name Jesus. We talk about Jesus a lot in our worship services, don't we? We just sang to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Carrie, for singing and for all of you for leading us. But did you know that although faith is deeply personal, it is never supposed to be private? And there's a difference there. I mean, my faith is the most personal thing there is to me. The God of the cosmos who made me in his image, who knit me together by his hands in my mother's womb, who has plans for me, who sent his son to redeem me, and who has promised me everlasting life in Jesus Christ. He reaches me in the very deepest parts of who I am. You know, the Bible tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, God reaches us at the level of our heart, at the level of our soul, in our minds, and he reaches us to give us strength. God reaches us in those deep places. So there is nothing more personal than my faith. But never in the Bible does Jesus call us to have a private faith. Go back to when Jesus called his first disciples, what did he do? He said, come follow me. And what did that mean? Well, that meant for Simon and Andrew and James and John, they had to walk away from their business and come and follow him. It meant for Matthew that he had to leave his tax booth and come follow him. And there were plenty of people asking plenty of questions about that public act of living out their faith, that they trusted Jesus enough to follow him. Or on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was uh, given and descended upon the church, as the Spirit descended, the Spirit descended publicly such that those 120 gathered in that upper room began to testify in multiple language that they did not know of the goodness of God and shared the gospel of Jesus with everybody who was there. And it was a very public thing. They looked at them and thought, something amazing is going on here. In fact, some of them thought they were drunk. Peter stood up and said, y'all, it's nine in the morning. They're not drunk, okay? But God sent the spirit of almighty God and he came publicly and even the, the disciples ministered publicly. I mean, they counted the disciples moving about in Jerusalem. The very city that had just condemned their Lord, the very city that had just trotted Jesus out of the city gates to crucify him on Golgotha's hill, the very city that was still looking for people affiliated with this Jesus, this is the city to which Jesus first sent his disciples. You go tell them. You will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. Jerusalem had just killed Jesus. In Judea. Judea had become a very dangerous region for Jesus. In Samaria, you're going to have to go to places you don't even want to go. All the way to the ends of the earth. And you go and you be my witnesses. And in order to be witnesses, you've got to be willing to share your faith. Even though it's very personal, it's not private. See? And so dad and I got around you Baptists and it was like, oh, okay, well, we're supposed to be a little bit more willing to share this stuff. And it was awkward at first. Well, maybe you share that same struggle. Maybe you share the same struggle that I had, that faith for you is very private and you feel like it's supposed to be very private. And and there are whole entities in the United States of America that say, keep your faith private. Don't let it out into the public sector. But the truth is, that's never been the call of Christ. The call of Christ is to live out our faith in a way that makes a positive difference for good. According to the power of the Holy Spirit, 
The call of Almighty God is that we would live out the faith once for all delivered to the saints in a way that is visible. And James is going to challenge us in that way this morning. James is going to call us as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit that we ought to display our faith. We ought to live out our faith in a way that glorifies God and in a way that magnifies Christ. A way that blesses those around us. So I want to invite you to turn with me again to James chapter 2. If you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 1012. 1012. As you turn to page 1012, I want to encourage you to do something. I really want you to hear this. Now, I told you that Dad and I had a lot of conversations about church. Well, as time passed, we started to have more conversations about faith. And there's a difference there. It was easy to talk about how he was part of an organization. But what's harder sometimes is to talk about what Jesus is doing in me now. What the Lord has done in my life and what he's doing in me actively now, the hope that I have for days to come in Jesus Christ. And, and I thank God that before my dad left this earth, he, he passed away in 2007, that we had the opportunity to talk about what his faith meant to him, not just what his church meant to him. Now, church is vitally important, but I didn't want to hear just about his attendance and his participation in any religious rituals he went through. That was good to know, but I wanted to hear about how Jesus was impacting his life now because here's the thing. I was in my early 20s and I needed to know how Jesus would impact my life as a, as a young man. Can I tell you one of the greatest gifts that you can give those you love the most is to talk to them about your faith. Yes, tell them about your church participation. Yes, tell them about the date of your baptism and all the things that you've done. But tell them about your faith. Because here's the thing, one day if the Lord tarries, 100% of us are going to die. If that's news to you this morning, I'm sorry to shock you, but they've done studies. 10 out of 10 people pass away. And you're going to leave behind the people that you love the most. And you don't want them guessing. You don't want them hoping. You don't want them wondering. Tell them. Tell them what Jesus means to you. Tell them what Jesus is doing now in you. Tell them about your faith. Our theme today is this. By faith, we display our faith. By faith, we display our faith. James chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 18 through 26. And James, the brother of Jesus, writes these things as he is carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Our first point this morning is this. By faith, we obey God. Now, I'm going to go to verse 19 first, and we'll come back to verse 18. But that... That verse 19, and I've even put it at the bottom of your notes, you believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe and shudder. Uh, that's the most compelling portion that captures our attention of those two verses, right? So let's talk about that. It's common around here to say, he believes in God. She believes in God. And that's good. Once again, I hear it at the funeral home all the time. He or she believed in God. That's wonderful. Do you know that belief in God puts you on par with the demons? 
Now, I want to be very clear here. Because just saying they believe in God does not mean they are saved. No, belief in God. Listen, go back to Jesus' ministry. Who was the one entity, the one class of beings who had no doubt who Jesus was? It was the demons. Everybody else was wondering about Jesus. But anytime he got around somebody that was demonized, the demon knew instantly who he was. And the demon thought, oh no, it's time. The time of Christ's coming and our utter destruction is at hand. See, the demons have known. They know that Jesus is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is eternal. They are created beings, angels who have fallen. They know very well who Jesus is, that he is the eternal son of God. They know very well that he is the Messiah. They don't even have to believe it. They know it. And yet, they're not saved. They're damned. I'm not cussing. So what's the difference? Well, it is faith that leads to obedience. Do I love Jesus, trust Jesus, follow Jesus? The demons don't. So the next time you hear somebody say, well, I believe in God, ask a couple of questions. Who is he? Who is God? Tell me about God. Because I'm going to tell you, belief in God gets you on par with demons. But there is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who so loved you that he sent his only son, Jesus, for you. So that you might have everlasting life in him. The demons don't have everlasting life in him, but you can. By placing your faith in Jesus Christ. So then verse 18 says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by what I do. What you believe is always going to be illustrated and proven by what you do. Right? If you believe that wearing a seatbelt makes you safer, I know it's the law, but some people still don't do it. There was a time when I didn't do it. But if you believe that putting on that seatbelt will keep you safer should there be a collision, guess what you're going to do? Or if you believe that what the Surgeon General has written on the side of that substance might just apply to you, you're not going to engage in the substance. What you do will always illustrate what you believe. We talk about if you want to know where you are in your faith, check two sources. Check your calendar and check your bank statement. That'll tell you what you believe in. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? That will tell you what matters most to you. And that can be tough sometimes because sometimes we don't like to admit even to ourselves that what we believe is really not always what we say we believe. But what we believe will be illustrated by what we do. And James is going to give us a couple of examples of this. So look with me now, beginning with verse 20 all the way down through 25. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Our second point this morning. 
By faith, we express trust in God. So our first point was by faith, we obey God. Second point, by faith, we express trust in God. And James gives two examples, Abraham and Rahab. Many of you are familiar with these stories. Abraham, Father Abraham. Father Abraham has many sons, and I am one of you, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. But you remember the most gut-wrenching moment in Abraham's life, don't you? Genesis chapter 22. I went back and read it this week. Read it again this morning, just to, just to let the weight of it hit me. You remember God made a promise to Abram. He called him out. He said, follow me. And Abram did. He left everything he'd ever known to follow Almighty God. And God promised him that he would lead him, but he didn't give him 15 steps ahead. He said, just follow me. And so Abram did. And God made a promise to Abram. He said, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing. You will be the father of many nations. But the problem was that Abram wasn't even the father of one child. How do you become the father of many nations when you're not the father of one child? And by the way, you're 75 years old. How's that work? And God's call to Abram was, trust me. Well, it took 25 years. 25 years of trusting and following God, and God delivered Isaac to Sarah. Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah was 90 years old, and God gave them this precious gift of Isaac. And then at some point in Isaac's young life, the Bible says God tested Abraham. He said, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. I'm going to send you to a certain mountain range in Moriah. Incidentally, Moriah is the same range where Solomon would later found the city of Jerusalem and build the temple. And outside of that same city, outside on that same mountain range would be where God would send his son, his only son, whom he loved. But God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. It's the most gut-wrenching account. As Abraham and Isaac walk up the mountain and Isaac looks at him and says, Daddy, we got the wood, we got the fire. Where's the offering? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, through what had to have been a trembling voice, said, God will provide. And he did. God was providing Isaac as the sacrifice. So Abraham bound Isaac and laid him upon the altar. And just as he raised the blade, what did God do? He intervened. He intervened. He said, do not touch the boy. Do not harm the boy. For I see your faith. And God provided a substitute sacrifice. Over there, um, a ram with its head encircled in thorns. Interesting how that works, isn't it? Abraham's faith led him to engage God in the most unimaginable of calls. Now, God's not calling you to that, but he called Abraham to that because that was formative for the faith. Abraham wouldn't have to sacrifice his only son because God would sacrifice his only son. But Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. What about Rahab? Rahab is a member of the world's oldest occupation, and Joshua sent two spies to spy out the promised land, said, pay particular attention to Jericho. And when the spies came to Jericho, they lodged in the house of Rahab. And she said, look, the whole city is trembling because of you all. Because we know, listen to what she said. She said, we know your God is God 
over all. So what does she do in recognition of who their God is? She hides them. When the king sends word that she should bring them out, that they might be killed, she hides them. She functions according to her faith and sends them away another way, such that when Jericho was taken, Rahab and her family were protected by the hand of Almighty God. Why? Because Rahab functioned by faith. Your works will always illustrate what you believe. Abraham believed God. Rahab believed God. They functioned according to that belief. Their works illustrated their faith. That's the thing. It wasn't that their works saved them. It was that their works were motivated by what was going on inside of them. And so James then brings us to this point. Verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So the third point, by faith, we have faith that lives. By faith, we have faith. And it is a living faith. Our faith lives. So I want to ask you this morning, is your faith a secret? Or is it on display? See, when you're, when you're sharing about your faith with those people that you love the most, I want to encourage you to add to your testimony. Add to your testimony the illustration of what that faith means to you. Add to your testimony by loving them with the love of Jesus. Add to your testimony by loving others with the love of Jesus in front of them. It's, it's not just what we say, but we need to say the words. It's also what we do, and we need to do the deeds. But we've got to come at it the right way. It is not that I do good things that earn me heaven. No. It's that I surrender my life to Jesus who puts heaven in me. And then that heavenly reality comes out and blesses others. And let me tell you something. If that heavenly reality have been, has been put into you as God has given you his spirit because you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that heavenly reality has to spill out. Heaven's too big to be contained in you. And so let it come out. Let it come out. Let people know what Jesus means to you. Let people see what Jesus means to you. One of my mentors in the faith, Dawson Trotman, who passed away nearly a quarter century before I was born, used to say all the time, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And I want to tell you something. Your life preaches. Your life preaches. It either preaches that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, or it preaches that he is not. Your life preaches. Let your words join the chorus. But let it be one that is centered in Jesus, high and lifted up. There was a guy named Charles Blondin, who was a daredevil, who went to cross Niagara Falls in 1859, put a two-inch rope across the falls. Everybody showed up. They didn't even watch it on their phones because it was 1859 and they didn't have phones. But he showed up to walk across and everybody was nervous and everybody was cheering for him 
And he did. He walked across so many times. One time he took an oven out there and fried an egg on the middle of a tightrope over Niagara Falls. How about that? But one time he asked his manager to do something. He asked his manager, who believed in him, who had set all this up, who had gathered the crowds. He asked his manager, whose name was Harry Colcord, to put his money where his mouth was. And Charles said, Harry, climb on my back and let's walk across. Well, Harry had a decision to make. Do I really trust Charles? Do I really believe in Charles? Because if I carry through with this, then it's not just going to be Charles who falls if Charles falls. It's going to be us. So Harry did. He climbed on Charles' back and rode piggyback all the way across Niagara Falls. See, there's a difference between affirmation of the existence of something and belief, faith, trust. Harry Colcord trusted Charles Blondin and he proved it by getting on his back. Do we trust Jesus? Do we trust Jesus enough to go where he tells us to go, to do what he tells us to do, to live how he tells us to live, to love how he tells us to love? Do we trust Jesus in a way that glorifies Almighty God and makes our world a better place? Because that's what he's calling us to. What we believe will always be illustrated and proven by what we do. So may we be the kind of people who live out the faith in a way that proves that we are people who believe. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.